Hi there, and welcome to Talking Commodities, the podcast series where leaders in commodities trading, procurement, risk management, and sourcing come to share truly actionable insights based on real-world experiences with the biggest global companies. Talking Commodities is brought to you by the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. The first center of its kind, offering educational programs and research focused on commodities, taught by experienced industry experts. Go to business.ucdenver.edu slash commodities to find out more. And Chai, a London technology business who help companies secure more margins, stable prices, and better outcomes. Chai has developed an intuitive web application that provides users with crucial insights and commodities price predictions made by applying artificial intelligence to all of the data that matters, from satellite imagery to freight data. To get access to Chai, go to chaipredict.com. That's C-H-A-I predict.com. Now, over to Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer of Chai, and Tom Brady, Executive Director of the JPMCC, for this week's episode. Hello and welcome. Today, we're really pleased to welcome our good friend, Scott Welcome, back to the show. Scott's well-known in the industry as a commodities expert with deep knowledge of the ag markets, who tells it how it is. Scott is regularly asked to speak at industry conferences for his candid, honest perspective that many find refreshing. I've got to say, you know, that's the same thing with me. I, I really find it very, very interesting just how candid and honest Scott is with the way that he sees things and, and calls it. He's currently Director of Grains Risk Management at Goodmills Group, based in Vienna. Scott, great to talk again. How are you, my friend? I'm all good, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Nice to, nice to see you again, Scott. You know, one thing we didn't discuss last time was your own background. Where did your specific interest in commodities come from? That's a very good question, Tom. And to be honest, I didn't have a specific interest in commodities growing up. I was born in London, so as you can manage in, with most major cities, the only thing I knew about animals was they lived in the fields way out in the country. But I, I left, I guess, what you call high school. Um, was kind of in between, had a place at uh, university, wanted to do some work in the summer, so I took a job at a company called Bungie that I'd never heard of, um, based in London, and I never left. I mean, I've been in industry since that day, uh, August the 8th, 1988. And so my, my, my beginnings in commodities and fascination with commodities started there and then. So that's, that's a great, uh, Scott. I just, you know, from all the people I've been talking with around the world over the last couple of years in this role I'm at with the, the Commodity Center, that that's really a common theme. You know, I just kind of started this first job in the sector and it just ended up being a great career. So, uh, yeah, so, so thanks for that. It, it kind of snuck up on me, really. I mean, I, I started in all places, accounts, soon realized I was never going to make it as an accounts department. And then I headed into what was then the trading room. And uh, this room just fascinated me, these guys chatting out buy, sell, all this kind of stuff you saw on Wall Street and whatever else. And I thought, yeah, I could see myself here one day. All right. All right. So, Scott, you mentioned there that you started in 1988. I wasn't going to mention that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are the main ways that you've really observed the industry changing through your long and illustrious career? Um, I guess the obvious one is technology, use of technology. I mean... Back when I started, 
we had just sort of got some computers, but they were they wasn't very common use. Generally, we would get telexes to tell us what markets were doing and, and, and everything like that. So for sure, technology is, is a huge advancement over the those last sort of 30 years. Um, I guess the world has got a smaller place, uh, a lot easier to to move goods around nowadays. Um, with the communication and the logistics infrastructure that's been created over the years as more investments gone into commodities as the world's grown and our food and diets have changed. And I, I guess a bit of diversity. I mean, when I first started, it was very much a sort of a US, British, maybe a sort of Dutch influence in the markets. But now as the importance of Asia has grown uh, and Australasia and, and of course Africa, We've seen a more diverse uh, industry, which I think is is, is good and, and, and hopefully continues in that manner. And and also more women into the trade. It was very much a the gentleman's only kind of club at the beginning, but uh, fortunately we've uh, we've had more and more women coming into the market and in some very senior positions. That's really great to hear. And I, I think you know some of the sessions that we've had, particularly this season, you know, we've really seen that um, some fantastic women who have you know really achieved. A great deal in the commodities sector so it's really interesting to hear so what what's next from your perspective you know given what you've seen over the last you know kind of few years what what's next in your in your opinion you know as we move forward into the 2020s i guess um, sustainability environment awareness um particularly in the commodity sector is, is going to be a key one it's it's, it's been sort of on, on the sort of uh, underline for a lot of companies for a while, but that's really taken focus the last year, 18 months. And now with the EU Green Deal and the Biden administration really pushing it, that's, that's obviously going to be key for, for our sectors. Um, and, and I think obviously is, is making our supply chains more efficient because there are still some areas where we struggle to get the, the materials to the places they need to be in an efficient manner. So I still think there's some work to be done in some of the origins and destinations in improving infrastructure and efficiencies in moving material around. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting to hear that. I think that's, you know, quite a kind of practical answer, to be honest. I feel like a lot of folk get quite caught up in, you know, some of the big technologies, blockchain, AI, that kind of thing. It's really uh, refreshing to hear quite a, a kind of straightforward uh, operational answer there. And just, Scott, stepping back for a second, are there any key defining lessons or experiences that have been particularly kind of pivotal in your career today, uh, even up to the current day? I don't know, as I would say, pivotal. I mean, key defining, I think you learn to expect the unexpected. I mean, the last 18 months has taught us that, but also markets that go in certain directions a lot more to the upside or the downside than you maybe would at first uh, expect. So the, the market's always there to shock you. But so now, in, in terms of key, not really. Uh, I mean, the, the Russian export ban was, was kind of not really on the agenda. That shocked the market a little bit. I think China, I wouldn't say it sprung up on us, but it, it, it kind of caught a bit of us unaware when they come into the market. And, and now when they're not there, the market reacts to the, to the downside. So those are probably some of the bigger things that we've seen, but definitely to, to expect the markets to move a lot more than you, than you would uh, at first imagine. Really interesting, really interesting to hear. And so just following on from this as well, it's been a fairly crazy couple of years, particularly in the ag markets, you know, but generally across commodities. What, what do you make of it all, you know, from a kind of higher level perspective, I guess? What, what are your thoughts generally? Uh, it's a good question. I think uh, we had to re-examine some of our sort of norms about the market, that's for sure. Um, we had to be very flexible and adaptive, particularly with the way we worked. And I don't think we were prepared for that. So I think it's certainly 
uh, made us uh, work harder on being prepared for for whether you want to call it a black swan or some sort of event we hadn't planned for. Um, but in all honesty, in our markets, they, they're often throwing up surprises, maybe not as major worldwide as, as this last pandemic. But if you've been in the commodities market long enough, you kind of have every sort of six, eight years, some kind of of wild uh, swings, whether it's uh, the financial crisis back in 2008, whether it's uh, avian flu, bird flu. Um, so there's always something sort of on the horizon. So we kind of got a bit used to to these wild swings, but the pandemic definitely was a was a major one. And I think, yeah, just learn to be more adaptive, to be less rigid in some of our, our workings. And sometimes just to go with the flow, some things you can't fight, you've just got to go with it and, and just, Keep seeking that light at the end of the tunnel and, and trusting your in your policies and your guidelines that get you through in the end. Scott, uh, you know, how has you know commodity markets very volatile over the last year in particular? You know, how how has this volatility impacted you know different parts of, of, of your business? Um, in, in different ways, I think from the positive side, it's created a big demand in 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 the food side of the business. So for us as a, as a flour producer, that was very good, and particularly as a, as a branded producer of flour. So that had, that gave us some, some, some good opportunities um, with the higher volatility and demand. On the other side, uh, logistics become, in, in, in some, some places, a bit of a nightmare in the trucks availability, in personnel availability, with borders closed. So that, that, that created some issues that we had to quickly deal with and, and, and work around. And then with the price commodity movements, I mean, at first we were expecting prices to, to sort of crash because genuinely when there's uh, some concerns with, with supply demand, that genuinely seems to be the way. But as we saw, it, it wasn't and, and commodity prices took off. And so we had to quickly adjust our initial thoughts of how the market would react and uh, adjust our strategies accordingly. So created opportunities, um, both positive and, and Whilst I would say negative in, in the respect that we, we did suffer some, some supply problems, we, we had to think of new ideas and those new ideas we are embracing now and, and using to move forward and hopefully we're ready for whatever comes in, in the future. So uh, a negative that we turned into a positive, which I think is, is always a good way to look at things. Okay. In, in regards to the pandemic, do you feel uh, that this will have any long-lasting impacts on, on the ag space? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think supply chains will definitely have been affected and will probably be affected to some extent going forward. I think we were fortunate that we have a very short supply chain. Um, it's all 90 times 70 in Europe. And that, along with um, the growing need to, to improve our sustainability, environmental uh, footprints, I think uh, a lot of companies will be now looking at how they can shorten supply chains where possible. Obviously, with major origins, Quite a way away from some major destinations, it's not going to be possible everywhere. But I think where where companies can, they will look to, to shorten their supply chains. Um, and I think it's not just a commodity uh, issue, but I think work life in general, we have to adapt to, to people working from home or from from different places rather than the office that we've been used to for, for forever. So I think those are the two major ones. I think that will we'll see changes going forward. Okay. Thank you. So, Scott, I remember before when we spoke, you mentioned how the pandemic was impacting the supply chains for good meals and, and how it kind of really brought you closer to your suppliers, whether they're on the packaging side or farmers. How's this played out over the last year, you know, since we spoke last time? 
And for the majority, it's been very good. We've realised how much we need each other. And so that's, that's sort of really strengthened the relationships. We were there for them. They were there for us. And I think uh, that, that was good to see. And it, it's also helped us to sort of locate some other suppliers, customers that we hadn't really been looking for because we, we had no need to do so. And so we've opened up some new avenues as well, which is which is always good, um, just to add some more strings to our bow. So from that side, it's been good. It's, it's strengthened the relationships we had with, with old um, customers and clients. And, and we found a few new ones that we're now working on and, and looking to, to continue to develop our relationship with them. So it's, it's, it's been a positive effect for us all the way around. Well, uh, Scott, you know, in terms of, you know, how you keep on top of the markets. Do you have any tips for our audience on, on looking to develop their, their understanding of the idiosyncrasies of the grain markets in particular? Yeah, I think there's there's many avenues and, and ways to do that. Uh, obviously, with today's technology, with the internet, there's there's plenty of sites on there that you can you can read up on what's going on in the markets, LinkedIn, barchart.com, just to name but a few. Um, company publications that you can get online. The WASD produces a very, very good uh, free uh, reports, which has some great S&Ds you can use and then build your own out. But I think above and beyond, as much as we all use technology and, and its influence is growing, is, is building your network, is, is get out, see the people where you can, um, create contacts and, and just just engage in dialogue. Um, I think that it is the best way to get information or to get little tidbits of information that you might either otherwise get by just reading from a document or a presentation. So networking still for me is key, and, and I hope it continues because I very much enjoy doing it. I missed it a lot the last 18 months. Yeah, I just uh, I heard a good quote uh, last week, uh, which I'm going to use going forward, but networking equals net worth. I mean, that's just... Uh, yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just such an invaluable uh, skill and... Uh, and uh, I would recommend anybody getting getting into that. But uh, what about the role of, of data and AI um, in all this? Yeah, I think it's growing, and I think it's been one certainly from our side of the industry. It's been a little bit overlooked and, and sort of felt that it's not for us. It's it's more for these these sort of I don't know computer geeks or big funds or whatever else. But we've slowly realised with the help of of Jake and the team at Chai that, that it's not just about the using it for sort of creating trading margins or trading opportunities, you can use it in your supply chain, you can use it in your packaging. So definitely it's a way of us processing large amounts of data a lot more efficiently than we can or we have done in the past and to create essential information because, again, data is great, but if you don't know how to use it or how to extract it correctly, it isn't worth a great deal. So I definitely think it's, it's going to become more and more of a need for a company of our size, and uh, we will we'll be looking at ways to utilize it in, in every aspect of the business going forward. Switching over to the to the risk management and hedging side of things, Scott, uh, you know, what do you think should be on the the top of the agenda for for our commodity price risk management folks out out in the audience uh, as we move towards uh, the latter part of 2021? I would say, I mean, apart from sort of the obvious basic ones, make sure your, your supply demands are up to date and you've got a good idea of the trade flows and, and the weather. I think stress testing what if scenarios we have to have because there's, there's, there's so many origins and destinations that could swing one way or the other at the moment that you really need to know how that would affect your bottom line. Where, where are your risks if the market was to, to lose 5 million tons in South America or if China doesn't need to buy X amount of corn. How does that affect your, your current positions? And then 
your future positions as well. So um, I think uh, the stress testing, what if scenario is, is definitely growing in, in, in need and, and importance going forward. Really, really interesting advice as always, Scott, and yeah, very much uh, actionable, uh, I think. So credit to you on that side of things. Just carrying on from this a little bit, how would you advise someone looking to set up a hedging strategy, particularly for ags from scratch? Do you have any kind of, you know, initial thoughts or points that folk kind of take away and try and put into play if they're looking to do this, you know, with a blank canvas? Yeah, I guess so. I mean... In all honesty, they're, they're pretty basic. And as you know from me, I try to keep things basic because if you, if you make life too complicated, it just creates more work for yourself. But I think first and foremost, you've got to define your company's risk management objectives. What are they? Because they differ from company to company. You need to quickly identify, quantify what the company's risks are. Is it the bottom line? Is it supply? Is it, is it demand? What is it? Then you need to, once you have those sort of two foundations um, create your risk strategy your, and your guidelines um, because without guidelines you can quickly go wrong uh, and all of a sudden you've got a big hole in, in your bottom line um, and then I think the other two are sort of the soft skills which are you need to educate the risk management team around you they need to understand the tools that you're suggesting them to use to risk manage that they understand otherwise it, they're not, they're not going to work that's, that's quite clear and then I think Fundamentally, you need to have the buy-in from the senior executives or the management or the, or the shareholders of your company because if they don't understand or buy into what you're trying to do, it's always going to be very difficult to make your to get your risk management um, practices and strategy to work because you're always going to be fighting that sort of I won't say negativity, but it's just a bit of do we really need this? We know what we're doing. Why are you there telling us to watch this and watch that? So get the buy-in from the senior level. Um, makes things a lot easier then to move forward and make changes. It's really great to hear. I've got to say that, you know, uh, we have quite an interesting vantage point at Chai because we're dealing with so many different folk across different industries, different verticals, you know, particularly in that kind of procurement, purchasing and risk management space. And it really does seem like the, the clearest indicator of, whether someone has a successful risk management program is the level of buy-in and whether or not they've got buy-in from the people that really matter. And that's always something that's really resonated you know, from our, our first conversations. So really interesting to hear. And kind of related to this, Scott, are there any pitfalls or repeated mistakes that you notice folk making? I, I definitely think underestimating the volatility or how far a market can move. I think that's a, a common one. We always think it can only go this far and then the next day it's gone a lot further. So I think that's a common one that reoccurs. I think another one, and I, I've probably been guilty of this myself in the past, is not regularly reviewing the risk strategy um, and adjusting it depending on how markets have changed or even how our company's risks have changed. I'm um, thinking it's sort of one size fits all. Um, and then again, I go back to not, not clearly explaining your ideas or your strategies to, to the board, because again, if they are not understanding, not buying in, it's not going to really work in, in its fullest. So I think they're probably sort of the three main ones. So yeah, I would say those, those are the ones that spring to mind. You know, when you think about uh, all the tools and market intelligence sources out there, Scott, you know, what do you think are... Uh, one of the, the better ones to, for a successful commodity hedging program? Um, I think first and foremost, you do need some sort of solid ERP or CTRM system. Um, there's plenty out there, and I think you need to find the one that fits you best. 
not necessarily the, the most expensive or the one with the most gadgets. It's really what what you're happy to work with and what suits your business plan. But you do need some kind of system like that to, to input all the data and to, and to then give you out the, the, the findings. As we alluded to earlier, I think some, some AI systems alongside those CTR systems are getting more and more vital. And I think it's good to start building those into your policies and, and, and just to get companies or, and, your, and your colleagues used to using those, those tools. Obviously, if you're dealing with commodities, um, a good source of, of S&D information and analytics is always vital. Yes, you can have your own, your own teams build them, but it's always good to have a third party source just to correlate. And then I think you need the right people because with, again, with, with no matter how good your systems are and your systems are without the right team, it's always again going to struggle to work. So it's a soft and those hard skills mixture that, that makes it, makes it, makes it work in the, in the end. Well, Scott, we always kind of like to wrap up uh, with a couple questions on, on advice for people just starting out. But, you know, do, do you have any recommendations for people just starting their careers in, in the space? You know, maybe after a master's degree, for example. Yeah. I mean, I guess be curious, be inquisitive. I mean, you've got to ask questions because it's the only way you're going to learn. So try and find some of those, those colleagues in your firm who've been around a bit with a bit of experience and, and sort of keep picking their brains, listen to them, see how they do what they do. Um, and, and really just gather as much information you can about the industry you're in, um, not just what's going on at the moment, but look into the history because often history can be a, a great uh, sort of pathway to what's going to happen in the future. I think there's, good, there's plenty of books out there at the moment that can give you some, some good insights into what's happened and how we've got to where we are now. Um, and I think have fun. I mean, this trade is tough enough, and, and if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then it's probably not the job for you. So I think you've got to enjoy it as well. Our markets are fun. You're, you're dealing with real commodities that grow out the ground, that feed people or feed animals that feed people. Um, and so feel, feel privileged to be part of such an such a amazing industry, I think is, is definitely a key one to do. Fantastic stuff. And, and last you know, point, Scott, is there anything else that you'd like to raise? Any other thoughts at all before we wrap up? Uh, not really. I think, um, as I say, the inquisitive, curious, I think you need, whether in business you are, you've got to ask questions, you've got to be showing incentive. I think don't be afraid to think out of the box. There's no such thing as a, as a bad idea or bad question. Uh, don't think someone else has thought of it. Just, just get out there and say it. Um, it might not be working now, but it could in the future. And as we alluded to earlier, is build that network, get, get as many contacts as you can in different environments, from different backgrounds, because you never know where you're going to need them. And then I think another one, you, you asked earlier about lessons you've learned. I think it's always be friendly and polite to people because I forget who told me, but it was early on, is be kind to the people on the way up um, because then they'll be kind to you on your way down because that is that is our life. Our careers go up and down. And, and so it's always good. Just be polite. It doesn't cost anything. Um, and it, that will benefit you in, in the long run. Brilliant. Well, what, what a kind of sobering and fair way to finish off the episode. Scott, as always, thank you very much for your time and insight. Really appreciate it. No problem. Good to be on. And uh, thanks very much for having me again. So that's it for today. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to come on the show as a future guest and you think you've got something contrarian to say, please do get in touch. My email address is jake at chipredict.com. Today's show was written and co-hosted by Stephen Butler and Tom Brady. 
Special thanks to Erica Hyman of the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at UC Denver and Maria Valentina, who produced the podcast. Thanks very much. See you next time.